Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Did you know that over 12% of emergency room hospital visits are related to gastrointestinal disorders? Recent research suggests digestion issues affect over 100 million people per day in the United States alone. And many of these people are using over-the-counter prescription medications to combat digestive distress, pain, and social embarrassment related to digestive problems. Unfortunately, many of the common treatments and prescriptions are actually compounding digestive dysfunction with unintended complications over time, treating symptoms, but not the root cause. Digestive health information, digestive health diets and products are some of the fastest growing trends in the health high performance industry. And today I'm talking to Wade Lightheart. He is an author, athlete and nutritionist and specialized on fixing digestion. Wade is a three-time Canadian national all-natural bodybuilding champion who competed as a vegetarian, a former Mr. Universe competitor, and host of a really cool podcast, the Awesome Health Podcast. He majored in sports science at the University of New Brunswick and has authored many books on health, nutrition, and exercise, which have sold in over 80 countries. Wade also serves as an advisor to the American Anti-Cancer Institute and is the co-founder and president at Bioptimizers, a digestive and health optimization company. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Wade, I am so happy to have you as a guest today. Thank you for making time. My pleasure to be here. I love doing these, so uh, I'm excited to dive into our topics today. Excellent. And as I mentioned in the introduction, we have so many people suffering, uh, you know, from digestive issues. It can be minor things. Uh, it can be major things. Uh, but it's really an, a problem that's so pervasive. Um, please tell our audience a little bit about your background and also what initially got you to want to fix digestive issues. Yeah. Um, so I was a kid growing up in Canada. Everything was normal till I was 15. Um, my parents moved from a small village into uh, a, a very rural setting. It was five miles to my nearest neighbor. I wasn't too happy about that as a 15-year-old. Simultaneously, my sister, who was four years my senior, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, a form of cancer. I watched her go through the medical model uh, for the next four years before she died at the age of 22. And then the third thing that happened is she, in, she had given me a bodybuilding magazine about the time that she got sick. And in my naive 15-year-old self, I was like, well, I wanted to kind of be strong and healthy and fit. And so I started working out uh, to kind of, you know, see what was going on. And I, rem I was left with this thought during her illness when we would take the 55-mile drive from the hospital, uh, we'd have to stop maybe five, six times for her to, you know, vomit from the 
the treatment that she was getting. And I, I remember thinking in my naive self was like, why is the treatment seem to be worse than the disease? Mm. And, and, and that led me to start or start my bodybuilding. I discovered a fellow by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger at the time who was Mr. Olympia, Mr. Multiple Mr. Universe. He was the biggest actor in the world at the time. And, uh, you know, was living this kind of fan- fantasy life in California, Los Angeles, California. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do that. Cause he said something in his book, education of a bodybuilder that really stuck with me. And he said, you can achieve anything you want in life. If you're willing to have a positive attitude, self-discipline and hard work. And everybody around me in that rural environment worked really hard but no one was talking about self-discipline and a positive attitude. And so I incorporated those things uh, through originally in my early bodybuilding attempts, I built a gym in a barn and was training in the freezing cold of Canadian winters and in a snowsuit, my hands would free to the bar. But I had a vision and I had a mission that I was going on. And that led me to study exercise physiology at the University of New Brunswick. And then from there, I moved through virtually every facet of the health industry, um, retail supplements, warehousing, uh, represented the athlete, and then uh, eventually in my own distribution self, my own store. And then as also as a personal trainer, managed gyms until eventually in um, 2003, after the Mr. Universe contest. So I, all that 16 years of preparation got me to the Mr. Universe. I won the national titles, but after the Mr. Universe, um, I gained 42 pounds of fat and water in 11 weeks. I, I it was shocking because I was so, thought I was doing everything right. I had what is representative as the aesthetic ideal of physicality. Um, but I had made some critical mistakes because I didn't understand the relationship between aesthetics, fitness, and health. You can have great aesthetics or you can be really fit, but you might not have your health or you might not have those other two things to the extent that you want, but be fairly healthy. That error I made following a performance based find by my sport. I met a doctor by the name of Dr. Michael O'Brien. He was way up in his seventies and he was the picture of anything you would imagine you'd want to be as a senior citizen. He was vibrant. He was healthy. He was strong. His, his intellectual acuity was extraordinarily sharp and he had this magnetic personality and he'd overcome, you know, cirrhosis of the liver. He had overcome, um, cancer. He had helped Bernard Jensen, the famous uh, nutritionist in America that brought back iridology and was kind of by the book, wrote the book on bowels, basically. He told me, so I went to his lecture and he said to me, I said, Dr. Brian, what happened? I'm doing everything right. I got the best coach. I've got the discipline. I got the positive attitude. I got the hard work and I've been recognized at this level, but somehow I made a mistake. And he, and he told me something that changed my life. He said, Wade, you've learned to build the body from the outside in, and I'm going to teach you how to build the body from the inside out. Mm. So I I learned from him. I started learning about enzymes. I started learning about the digestive system. I started learning about the microbiome and how, you know, amino acids and proteins and minerals and enzymes and probiotics all combine together in order to transport our food from what we eat into either building blocks or energy units. And if there is a disruption in that, we end up with the natural result of disease Simultaneously, Matt and I um, started a company um, to try and serve the bodybuilding market to avoid the mistakes that was inevitable within the industry. And if you look at the industry itself, 
most of the athletes, by the time they get into their late 30s and 40s, uh, and in their early 50s, run into major health problems, particularly around digestive-related illnesses because they have to eat so much food to maintain the muscle mass, which puts a big drain on the system. And we can get into some of these other things. And so we started writing this book and selling it online. It was a kind of a he was a kind of a digital marketer, and I was this kind of meditating yoga vegetarian guy. And we kind of combined our forces and had a wildly successful online adventure. Um, moved to Panama, lived down there for a while, and I became a digital nomad before I even knew what it was. After 10 years of that, we we rebranded into a health biological optimization company because I believe bodybuilders are the original biohackers. They're overcoming uh, evolutionary tendencies in order to create extraordinary results. And so it was a natural expression of us to go down that route. And we had really mastered you know, solving digestive health issues in that, you know, the first four or five years of, you know, building out the products and the product, the programs, and we coach over 15,000 people from around the world. And so we got to start to see patterns and tendencies, and then we filled the gaps in what wasn't available in the market. And that ultimately led to buy optimizers today. Fantastic. And thank you also for sharing some of your personal history, uh, what happened to your sister. And also I found very interesting what you said about the community where you grew up in, uh, that they all worked very, very hard, but they, it was not um, a, I think if I recollect your words where it was not a positive attitude towards discipline, uh, which um, uh, this is conjecture on, on my side here, of course, but oftentimes these things may also be rooted in culture or even religion, where you're not supposed to enjoy the working hard. It's a toil. You're supposed to sweat and not feel good. And it's something you've got to do because, uh, well, basically you were born with sin, uh, <laughs> yeah, something similar like that. Wear, wear your pain like a badge. Yes, where you're pain like a badge. And I think um, also pain, especially talking with regards to digestive issues, a lot of people feel like there's nothing you can do. Um, something that you've said is one of the keys to life is to not develop a victim mentality. How right. can we recommend, how can we develop the right mindset? Well, I think if you go back to the archetypes of uh, what makes a great story, and I think life is a, is a, we, life, if you look at story, one's life, it is essentially read as a story through the lens of your life. And if you go back to the Greeks 2,500 years ago, Aristotle kind of, uh, I, think, I forget the, the guy that developed the actual model, but Aristotle talked about it in his writing, particularly, I think it was in poetry. He talked about the four essential characters that are required for a great story. You have the victim, you have the villain, you have the hero, and you have the guide. We are all of those characters at some point, right? We've all had something that happened to us, which is the victim. Um, we've all done things maybe we didn't thought of later. As, hey, you know, we're kind of villainous in that character. We've also taken a heroic journey. And then ultimately, and its ultimate expression is, can you guide either your children or, you know, people in your business or, or friends or, or, or the next generation to kind of navigate those inevitable challenges that we all face as humans? If you look at all the great stories, they contain those characters and our own lives contain those characters. But the thing is, is when you're the victim, 
there's no positive benefits. The victim is kind of a sidebar to the story, the person that was affected. If you're victimized, you can become a villain, which is usually represented to a scarred kind of tragic character that decides that whatever happened to him, he's going to take it out on the rest of the world. And then you have the hero who was once a victim and got, you know, something happened to him and decided they were going to do something about it and, and go on the hero's journey. And then also you have kind of the, the wise, you know, individual who has been a hero, has been those, has been the victim, has been uh, even maybe sometimes a villain, but found a hero's journey and now is in a position to guide the hero through that journey. And so I like to think of myself now, you know, here in middle age, I've gone through that journey and my role inside the company is to provide insight to other people so that they can navigate their own journey through health in a way that makes sense and to cultivate a spirit of adventure in their life as opposed to a spirit of burden or journey or hopelessness. Superhumanize. I love that, Wade, and it also brings to mind uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And you know yes. what we've seen in great literature and great storytelling that thousands of years old, uh, these, uh, these things, these characters, these story arcs uh, still resonate within us today, and they're part of our lives. Um, I, okay. Can I just add one item to that, which I think is very unique? Um, because I'm a fan of Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung. Yes. Allocated these very beautifully and in such great depth of mining the psyche of all of human consciousness. But I attended a lecture a few, year, a few years ago with Jean Hewson. And she was a contemporary of Joseph Campbell. She has a great book called The Wizard of Us. And inside mm -hmm. of that, she illustrates in the book, The Wizard of Oz, was a unique role that of, of the heroic journey from a feminine perspective that hadn't been touched on before. And so the heroine in the journey, Dorothy, is one who uses what is oftentimes attributed as more feminine style way of navigating. So she's there to help her friends. Even when she destroys the witch, she's not trying to destroy the witch. She's just trying to put the fire out in the scarecrow. And they all are on a journey of ultimately self-discovery and all her friends in the end realize it's not the wizard that provides any of these things. These things are within themselves. And it's a, she has a very unique way of describing it. I think she's a wonderful speaker and a wonderful thinker. And I think she provides a platform for us to cultivate a way of being in the world now that we're so interconnected and leveraging instead of just the swashbuckling sword, bloody sword, you know, hero, that maybe the new miss starting there to emerge on the planet is, is to look at a different way of the, the hero's journey, more from these kind of kind of connection, healing style of ways, which I think that trend is starting to emerge uh, on the planet right now. And it's kind of cool to see. I think so too, Wade. And thank you for mentioning her. I was not aware of her work. I'll look into that. I love uh, that she talked about the heroine's journey and how it slightly differs from the classic male uh, hero's journey. And yes, this interconnectedness, the awakening of the feminine spirit, um, where I believe, you know, the balance of both the divine male, the divine female is what will propel us forward as the human race in a society 
sustainable way where we truly can thrive together and and be guardians stewards of this beautiful planet and big part of that is just to realize that you know none of us are an island we're all connected and when we are uh when we see the hero or the heroine as the protectors of the tribe that's when we can be our best. And it's a love that you also brought up, uh, Carl Gustav Jung. Um, he's one of my favorites with regards to really looking at what's going on in your deepest inside, the subconscious, and, and freeing what's repressed there. So these things don't run your life. And as he said, you know, uh, if you don't know your shadow, it will run your life and you'll call it fate. I'm paraphrasing badly right now, but in essence, that's what he said. Yeah. I also love your approach, what you've learned, of course, with regards to, you know, as I say, as, as above, so below, as within, so without. This is in the Hermetic uh, traditions uh, and also many other philosophies. And with regards to what you've been doing and the kind of guidance you give people, um, what you also just uh, mentioned that uh, you were told by your mentor that we learn to build our body from the outside in, but not from the inside out. Um, and of course, one of the vital parts of our inside health is healthy digestion. Uh, there are three components that are really important for that. Some of them you brought up, the uh, enzymes, the pH, the stomach acid, and the probiotics. Can you guide us through uh, these components, please? I will indeed. And you eloquently illustrated something very important at the first of this interview as the, the widespread and expanding components with digestive health issues. And one could argue that some of the diseases that are robbing people of their, their health and their lives, uh, heart disease, cancer, uh, and then of course, medical error being the top three, and then you know, we've got diabetes in there right after, and that's an expanding problem, are all related into our health, our food. And of course, we don't think that much about digestion. We, it's, it's kind of this magical thing that happens. If I, people assume, you know, the old saying, you are what you eat. And I would say you are what you digest, absorb and utilize. And hopefully uh, you're not what you're supposed to eliminate. So any food that isn't digested properly now becomes a potential contaminant or toxin to disrupt the natural functioning of the body. And in the last 80 years, we have radically altered our food uh, cultivation, development, and distribution chain to the point of much of what people are eating as food has had no historical basis uh, in the human condition. As in other words, it's been altered so much that our bodies have a difficult time digesting it. And in order to support uh, large farming agricultural components, we add things like nitrogen, uh, fertilizers, we add um, various types of insecticides, pesticides, herbicides, and now moved into genetic modification, monoculture farming without replenishing the soil of its essential nutrients and microbes. And all of that has that disruption or removal from these agents that were part of the human diet throughout history have now uh, those contaminants disrupt our enzymatic processes, our hydrochloric acid production, and our essential microbes, which live in a symbiotic relationship. So, you know, if we don't have these bacteria in our body, 
we literally cannot produce energy or produce building blocks. And so, and so they need us and we need them. And not much is understood because in the modern medical world, we got this idea that bacteria are these nasty little bugs that need to be destroyed at all costs. And the development of you know antibiotics, particularly around World War II and the, their use in, in, in critical care situations, and it's successful. We, we made massive gains from the development and the proliferation of a variety of medications from that science. But what we didn't intend or the unintended consequences of that, uh, along with the food production, is we've disrupted our entire digestive system. And that's what happened to me. I got messed up with it and I figured a way out. And then I was able to help a few people and then I was able to help a lot of people. And then now we're holding tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people around the world with this now. And there's five states to digestion, taste, touch, sense the food, the smell of the food, the texture of the food, the set, the setting to get yourself in a, a relaxing state, the chewing of the food. And then your food goes down the, uh, from the mouth in through the esophagus into the upper cardiac portion of the stomach. Now the first 30 to 60 minutes, this is where the enzymes present on the food, if they are, are supposed to break down. We don't eat as humans food in its raw natural state anymore. So very seldom do we have those enzymes. So we have incomplete digestion to start. The next phase is hydrochloric acid comes into the, in, uh, into the stomach and the food drops into the, the, the lower part of the stomach. And from there, the hydrochloric acid has two functions. It disinfects our food and it also changes the pH which will activate some enzymes and deactivate others. After that, the food is then buffered by what's called bicarbonate buffers, a fancy name for alkaline minerals, which neutralize the acid so you don't get burning uh, sensations inside your uh, intestinal tract. And then it, once it enters in the intestinal tract, you have a bunch of different strains in there that we're going to convert the rem remnants of that food into the building blocks or the energy units. And this is all controlled by peristaltic contraction to move this through, which is contraction of smooth muscle tissue to eliminate the waste after. Now, if you don't have enough enzymes, if you're low in hydrochloric acid, or if you do not have a right balance of microbes in your body, or, or you have some sort of physiological impairment, whether that is an, an ulcer, whether that is um, a hernia, like a hiatal hernia, or you have some sort of dislocation in the nerves running through the spine that disrupts peristaltic contraction or any one of these functions, all of those are the physiological in combined with the chemical agents that I said that can go wrong with your digestion. And as you indicated earlier, about a third of the population is suffering from one or multiple failures on those systems, which are compromising virtually every aspect of their life, their health, and their longevity. Superhumanize. Full disclosure here, I am a huge fan of your products. I've been using some of them for many years and I first became aware of them actually via uh, Dave Asprey, who's also a big fan of, of what you do. And they're just effective, they work. So I would like to talk about some of the things that you do. For example, uh, your probiotic formula, the uh, probiotic P3 Ohm. Yes. That you only use one strain of probiotics, Lactobacillus plantarum. Why? Well, um, in conjunction with my mentor, Dr. O'Brien, who developed that, he was recognizing as a medical doctor that we were running into a variety of problems um, in our digestive systems, specifically 
in the realm of viral infections and cancerous infections, which both viruses and cancerous tumors are able to disguise um, themselves through using protein coatings. And now, interesting enough, the current trend is talking all about spike proteins and their interactions and docking in cells and how viruses work and all that sort of stuff. He recognized this many, many years ago and began to look and recognize a key element. And that is this. Um, we are all familiar now with the prolific use of antibiotics. There is the development of antibiotic resistant strains. In other words, if you subject a bacteria culture to certain environmental conditions, some percentage of these people, of these uh, species will evolve and become so that they can survive those conditions. And now one of the most dangerous places you can go is to a hospital setting where many of these antibiotic resistant bacteria exist and thrive. And if you have an infection and one of my friends who happens to be a Harvard vascular surgeon said, you know, it's ironic, all the, the developments they made in surgery and in the, in the course of his career over the last 40 years. What's interesting is, is it is now you're, you got half 50% of the people that they lose from, uh, from surgery is actually from infection, wow. uh, which is, which is wild. So my mentor recognized this a long time ago, and he sought about uh, developing a method in order to create super strains of probiotics. And so with Alplantarum OM, what happened is we started working on this, and he was able to subject the aggressive strain of Alplantarum bacteria, which is a robust strain, and he put it in a toxic suit, and then he ran a sine wave through it so that very few of these could survive in conditions that most would die. And then we started growing those on different medians and started to test their efficacy. And so what happens is we were able to get a, a US patent that was able to demonstrate unique qualities associated over and above than standard L plantarum. And he used that as part of his component in order to develop these things. And eventually we were able to um, he's no longer with us. And we were in as part of his mentorship, eventually he turned over the components to us and we were able to get that to carry on that message. And so that became our first patented strain. And since that time, we now have um, PhDs in Serbia who are running a, cl a clinic for us and a university setting where we're testing all of our enzymatic developments or probiotic developments in cultivating what strains have effects, how do we put hermetic stresses on it, whether it's EMFs or giving them vitamins, what kind of antioxidants are built, built and how can we repair them, the, the microbiome and how can we repair leaky gut? And we've developed a variety of unique formulations that address those things that have been proven by scientists. And we just made another huge investment uh, in order to accelerate the development of what we feel will be the next generations of super probiotics to go along as, as a suite from uh, what we're currently developing. Fantastic. And as a side note, it's really not easy to get a patent. And uh, with regards to Alplantarum, what are the, um, the most prevalent benefits? Well, and I'm going to couch this very carefully in the current environment that we live in, because there is a U.S. patent on this probiotic. And I'm not going to say this because I do not want to get anybody in trouble because people get censored for telling the truth nowadays. 
But the U.S. patent clearly indicates that Elplanterum OM uh, is antiviral, antiretroviral, protolytic, um, is effective against some forms of tumors and is maintainable in the gastrointestinal tract. Those were the patented claims. I'm not making those claims. And the reason I'm not making those claims is because we do know the censorship that is happening in this world. And I do not want to make any medical claims or any health claims because of that. However, people can read the U.S. patent themselves and make their own decisions about the efficacy of that product and how they might use it. Absolutely. Thank you for being so clear on this and uh, so wise on this. And um, I will uh, put, um, I'll search for that patent and also put it in the show notes. Um, with regards to enzymes, a lay person would ask, well, why can't our body just digest food all on its own without an enzyme? Yes. Well, I'm going to give you a, a real world example. And then I'm going to walk people back from that because I think experience is our best teacher. And then the science starts to make sense. Most people in North America have had the Thanksgiving dinner or the turkey dinners, <laughs> you know, at Christmas or Thanksgiving. And that is you sit down with the family. It's one of the biggest holidays in the year. And they load up on the turkey or the ham or whatever it happens to be and all kinds of great vegetables. And then grandma brings out the apple pie and then you have another helping and Fairly soon afterwards, everybody is uh, moving from the table to the living room and somebody's sprawled out on the couch, someone's passed out in the rocking chair, someone's laying on the floor with drool coming out of their mouth and everybody's passed out after having maybe the largest caloric consumption they've had during the entire course of the year. And it's wonderful and great and so common practice. Most people have experienced that. And the question goes, well, wait a second. If I've just put all this food into my body, how come I'm not out you know, going for a workout or running a mile or solving a new problem. Well, it's because we have in our body a metabolic process of digestion, which I illustrated in layman's terms very quickly. But the two catalysts of that process are enzymes and probiotics. And probiotics are really just little bags of enzymes that are kind of independent. And enzymes, there's over 25,000 different known enzymes in our body. They are catalysts that convert one thing into something else. And you have a limited supply of these enzymes. And this was illustrated by the pioneer of uh, enzymatic research, a fellow by the name of Dr. Edward Howell, who wrote about it in nutrition, um, Enzyme Nutrition. And then his, his second book, um, which was fantastic, which is Food Enzymes for Health and Longevity, which he was able to make the correlation that longevity of various species, whether it was rats, cats, dogs, monkeys, people, um, was dependent on the enzymatic bank account, the total amount of digestive capability or enzymatic cap capability, because it goes far beyond digestion that that organism had. And I believe that's why the one common element for species who live longer or longer than the, the, the allotted time for say, say top of the bell curve for, uh, for that given species. So people who live to be a hundred in the human condition are the common element is that they eat less, right? That's the common element. Well, why is that? Well, every time that you eat food that doesn't contain enzymes, your body has to manufacture enzymes and that manufacturing capability is limited. And when you overrun your limitation of that, you are end up in that, in that turkey dinner syndrome. You feel tired after eating. You don't have energy. You begin to gain weight because you don't metabolize the food very well. You start to get 
uh, digestive conditions, you get skin blemishes, you have the inability to concentrate because you're not able to convert the proteins in the polypeptide chains. You started to develop the inability to digest carbohydrates and have issues with blood sugar and so on and so forth all down the line. And since the advent of all of the farm, farming technology integrations in the last 80 years, the chemicals being used widespread in our food, the deficiency of our enzymes, the disruption of our microbiome has disrupted these enzymes, these catalysts, so that we're not taking in much and it puts an extreme workload. When that workload is happening to digest that food, just like in turkey dinner, we don't have enough energy, converted energy, I should say, to run our brain. And ironically enough, um, it is the 24 hours uh, from Thanksgiving to the next day which the most amount of heart attacks happen in the United States as well. And I don't think that, well, that's not causation. I do believe there's a correlative aspect to that and something worth investigation. And unfortunately, most of the science and medical science inside of North America is more about developing drugs to treat the symptoms of disease, as opposed to advising the care of the patient of how to optimize the millions of years of evolution that is actually working in our favor. Exactly, instead of getting to the root causes of it. And very unfortunately, a lot of people have this, uh, what you call turkey dinner syndrome, more than just once a year. So many people have it weekly, some even daily. And what that does to our brain, to our bodies over the years and decades, uh, and then we end up with, quote, all of a sudden uh, dealing with a chronic illness where in truth it has been building uh, for many, many years. Superhumanize. With regards to digestive enzymes, um, correct me if I'm wrong, there are 13 different types. How do we know when to take which? Yeah, we're learning more and more all the time. And so the four big um, categories, I would say, are proteases, which break down protein, lipases, which break down fats, amylases, which break down carbohydrates, and cellulases, which break down plant fiber. And there are families that are derivatives of those, those types of enzymes that we either manufacture or don't. Some of those are uh, genetically based. Some are an epigenetic response. In other words, that we've disrupted, maybe we got exposed to high levels of pesticides at some point as a kid, and we've disrupted our lipase function, or maybe we inherited a, uh, a challenge in breaking down proteins, which lead us to neurochemical imbalances in the brain. Or maybe our family ate a lot of sugar and we cultivated uh, an inability to metabolize carbohydrates very well and our predisposition predisposed to blood sugar related issues. And then, you know, cellulase issues, which is the inability to digest plants. And so what we're seeing in genetics and epigenetics are almost always have an enzymatic pathway. And in some cases you can reactivate that through supplementation or through lifestyle adjustment. And, and then sometimes you can't. And so the goal is to find out what you can uh, master and operate and what you can minimize and then between the two of those, you get into what we call the optimize, and that's where bioptimization or biological optimization comes in. That's what we focus on. What are the biggest mistakes some people make when using digestive enzymes? Well, there's, a, there's several that aren't obvious. Um, 
when you walk into say um, a Whole Foods or uh, your local health store, you're going to see all these digestive enzymes and you're going to see some for five or 10 bucks a bottle. And you're going to see some for a hundred dollars a bottle. And you turn around and it says, well, it has amylases and proteases and maybe help me cellulase or this is like, how do you determine that? So number one, people don't have a basis to understand what the quality enzyme is. And so enzymes come in families uh, or in degrees of capability. There's animal based enzymes, there's plant based enzymes, and then there are, cultured enzymes, or plant enzymes, animal-based enzymes, cultured enzymes. Animal-based enzymes usually only work within a very specific pH band. Um, plant-based ones tend to work in a wider pH range, so they have a, usually a better digestibility. And then when you get to cultured enzymes, you will, these are enzymes that are oftentimes grown under, developed under very special conditions. It'll be a hundred to a thousand times more effective. Therefore, you need much less of those to get a much bigger effect. So what that all translates into is most people who are purchasing enzymes do not purchase a, a, uh, the right enzyme for their condition or a significant level of quantity or quality in order to get the desired effect. And there's one other type of enzyme that I didn't mention, which is called a systemic enzyme, which is not necessarily a digestive enzyme, although digestive enzymes may become systemic uh, enzymes. And, and that is, they are used for very specific purposes, like, you know, removing scar tissue out of the body or th yes. things like that, which a really good protease blends, like something we have in masszymes, which you have five different types of proteases inside of that can also serve as a, a systemic enzyme if you use it on an empty stomach. Yes, I have personal experience with the systemic enzyme serapeptase, uh, quite, a few, yeah, quite a few years ago, uh, where I had the choice of either undergoing an operation to remove a cyst, uh, which I was reluctant to do because it was not medically urgent, it was just very unpleasant. And a friend of mine who has had a lot of experience with serapeptase and of course also the applications and the study out of the uh, Asian markets where it's widely used. He just recommended to me to take that together with a few other herbs. And within four weeks of me being, now this is a very personal account. I'm also not a medical doctor. Right. I can speak from my own experience. Uh, four weeks, within four weeks, a six centimeter cyst was completely gone, uh, where my doctor could not believe it. So um, yeah, I have a huge respect. I'm a fan of systemic enzymes. The applications are even uh, much uh, broader than what I just described from my very personal experience. Um, with regards to the digestive enzymes, for people who are not well acquainted with them yet, um, should you take them before, during, or after a meal? Before is the best time. And the reason being is, is that that is how every other species on the planet, if you tigers, you know, bears or, or horses, uh, you know, a tiger will go when it takes down a zebra, will eat the entrails where the enzymes and probiotics are present, then it eats the carcass. A, a bear will grab a salmon or a blueberry and eat it in its raw state with its enzymatic and probiotic rich environments. Uh, a cow or a horse will, will find the plants usually the sprouts, which are highly enzymatically component and usually the bacteria culture and eat those first because they contribute to the digestive process. In other words, you get more life force, if you will, out of that food. 
Humans, on the other hand, irradiate, pasteurize, and destroy destroy all the enzymes so the food doesn't uh, last longer on the shelf, essentially. And so when you take the food into your body, the enzymes are naturally supposed to be present and breaking that food down, especially in the, in the hot, um, you know, acidic environment that, you know, cultivates in the digestive canal and then moves on to the probiotic uh, phase in the intestinal tract. So what happens if you don't take the enzymes preliminary, your body will then start to manufacture enzymes and that starts to tap into what Dr. Hal called your enzyme bank account. And so it's like making a, a withdrawal on that account. And that withdrawal over time is what accelerates the aging and degeneration process. Mm -hmm. And so you want to avoid that by preemptively providing enzymes. Your body will recognize that you have enzymes in the body, just like your body can determine the difference between water and food and not create the same digestive response from pure water that it would from, you know, food mixed with whatever. And so that is something that I think a lot of people make mistake of. Some people sprinkle it on their food. I always suggest people to, as an experiment, they can grab our, like one of our enzymes, like Masszymes and throw it on a bowl of oatmeal for something and watch it dissolve in the bowl in a couple of minutes. It's pretty fascinating to watch. <laughs> wow. That's like, like you literally witness the process of digestion. We sometimes mix them in our protein shakes to uh, pre-digest the uh, protein into the amino acids that your body needs. And, there's lots of fun experiments we've done over the years in regards to these things. Superhumanize. So to go a little bit past the uh, first steps into using enzymes, such as when to actually take them, uh, if we delve a little bit deeper and for people who really want to use this also as a biohack, how can we use enzymes for, let's say, exercise recovery, um, for neurotransmitters, and also for combating protein accumulation? Yeah, uh, so... Empty stomach with masszymes, I do uh, five capsules twice a day on an empty stomach. And when fasting, I'll go as high as 100 capsules a day to accelerate the effects of fasting. Because why does fasting work? Fasting frees up your metabolic enzymes and allows them, since you're not manufacturing enzymes to digest your food, now those metabolic enzymes go for repair and healing of the body. I've seen people with necrosis scars on their shoulders diminish within a few months by doing that, you know, taking five capsules uh, on an empty stomach twice a day, very similar to your cyst story, um, improve cognitive performance dramatically, a much greater ease of successfully navigating both short and especially long-term cleanses. In other words, you tend to get better results if you're into intermittent alternate day or extended fast. It's really remarkable. Um, so that's where I suggest people can kind of play with it. And we've developed a lot of techniques around that, that we freely give away on our uh, programs at, uh, by optimizers. Outstanding. I got to check into that. And the next time I do a fast, I'd love to hit you up and write you an email. Please be my guide. Wait, it sounds amazing. Yeah. That sounds a hundred of them. Wow. You know, with regards to, uh, digestive issues and illnesses, uh, most warning signals like bloating or brain fog are not really seen as warning signals. And most of the time people just fix quote them with an over-the-counter medicine. Are there any other warning signs we should pay attention to that most people won't connect with their gut and digestion? Yeah, it's a great thing. So if you wake up in the morning, with a lot of bad breath or crusty eyes, that's usually you're not breaking down your protein very well. Um, if you're developing things like heartburn and 
uh, acid reflux, usually you're not producing hydro enough hydrochloric acid. So a couple of tests for both of those things for, um, for the enzyme, if you don't have enough enzymes in your food, you can take maybe a couple tablespoons of lemon juice after uh, when you normally feel bloated or full and see if you see an effect. If you see an effect, it's probably you're enzymatically deficient. If you get acid reflux or uh, heartburn after meals, what you can do is on an empty stomach, take four ounces of water and a half teaspoon of baking soda, mix them together and drink it down. If you burp within five minutes, you're, you're okay. If it's longer than that, you're not producing enough hydrochloric acid. And so you need HDL. And most people in after 30s uh, don't produce enough. And then finally, um, you can do a gut map, a biome uh, or something ordered from your naturopathic doctor with type of microbiome testing. And you can see, do you have the right balance of good, bad, and opportunist bacteria, I guess, in your body so that you can select the right probiotics to optimize your that phase of your digestion? We're just getting into the early part of what I think is the golden years of probiotic development and testing so that you can pick the right probiotic specific for your situation, your diet, your lifestyle, your genetics, your epigenetics, and what's going to give you the best effect. Outstanding. And what you just said is so crucial uh, because just throwing probiotics at your system without actually knowing what's going on can, in some cases, even exacerbate, um, you know, feeling bad. Um, and you mentioned Viome. Uh, so let's say somebody's having digestive trouble is, uh, and they can't really go to a gastroenterologist. Is Viome uh, a, one of the types of tests that you can take the, where you get the results and it's kind of self-explanatory? Or is it like one of these genetic tests where you get a whole lot of raw data, but it's impossible to interpret it yourself? It'll give you pretty good information. I still believe that um, for the lay person, they're better off having um, a functional medicine practitioner that is able to help them interpret the data. Because The data is one thing, but then what do you do with that data? And then how do you cultivate a, a sensible lifestyle or supplementation around it is a whole other issue. And I don't think that we're at the stage where machine learning has been able to optimize that yet. Maybe one day we will be able to, but right now that's where the care and attention of the practitioner comes in. Some people say, well, I can't afford it. And I'm going, well, I look at it the other way. You can't afford not to. Right. And the reason being is, is, you know, not managing your health is going to lead to, without a doubt, a compromised lifestyle for the last 20 years of your life. The disability adjusted life expectancy in North America is now at 60 years old, which means that you'll be living with a chronic condition for the last 20 years of a life that are going to debilitate the quality of your life. So whether we can extend life to 100 and beyond, which is our goal, is uncertain. But what I'm 100% confident in is that we can extend the quality of life if we optimize all of these components and digestion is a big piece of that puzzle. Yes, um, you know, and, and extending our health span is really the number one goal when we want to extend our lifespan. And just on a side note, I recently had an interesting conversation with uh, Dr. David Sinclair, the author of Lifespan. And he actually said in his estimate, we are five to 10 years from these actual life extending medications coming to market. 
and uh, that uh, they were able in his lab to actually rejuvenate cells from uh, human cells from 80 year old to reset the biological clock to 20 years old, which is, wow, the more reason for us who are interested in this to get as healthy as we can um, to actually, you know, uh, be able to work from that baseline once we're able to truly uh, extend our lifespans as well. And, um, you know, maybe even double our life expectancy, which would be fascinating. For people who are really dealing with massive digestive issues and they can't even eat anything, everything hurts. What is the single biggest thing that they could do to start fixing their digestion? Fasting. Uh huh. I think that it's a very underestimated element in repair of the digestive health condition. The second thing I would say, look at is getting a proper functional medicine a diagnosis of what's going on in the body. Is it, is it ulcers? Is it a hiatal hernia? Is it a disbalance in microbiome? Do they have a dietary uh, style that's disruptive to their genetics or their epigenetical responses? And then cultivating a lifestyle to get themselves out of it. I've seen the most horrific cases you could possibly imagine can make complete recoveries. And I had seen people that had just mild conditions left untreated that led to uh, disaster, health disasters, and even death. So whatever, wherever you're at, establish where you're at and then establish where you want to go and cultivate the responsibility to take that control in your own life and get someone to help guide you and be the hero of your journey and make that transformation. That's, that's the, the invitation from all of us. I love that. So well said. And there's um, there's another question I have for you with regards to diet. I, I loved uh, learning about you that uh, you actually are plant-based. Um, and a lot of people ask me, I'm a vegan myself or AVAP as vegan as possible. I'll still have a little bit of honey or maybe every two years in Italy, I will have some cheese, uh, but I'm 97% plant-based. Um, so question I get a lot, especially for people who want to optimize building muscles. How do you maintain and build muscle on a low protein vegetarian diet? Yeah, great question. Uh, proteolytic enzymes, protein digesting bacteria supplementation, as well as a really high grade uh, plant-based protein to supplement the diet in order that I provide enough protein to convert to the amino acids. That's what I do. And I'm so delighted because after 17 years and 147 different experiences, uh, experiments, we just released uh, protein break. There are new plant-based protein product, which is a, I think, and I don't say this lightly, the greatest plant-based protein blend ever made it that tastes like a gourmet raw cacao chocolate bar. It's exceptional. Oh my God. Oh my God. You have me a chocolate bar. Plus I know the high quality integrity of your products. I'm going to order some as, as soon as we come to this. I, I can honestly say if I didn't make the product, I would spend all my money on purchasing it because it's that good. Oh gosh, I love it. And wait, one question I ask every guest I talk to is about the practices that really have turned their life around mentally, physically, or spiritually. Would you share one or some of those with us? Yeah, I'm a great student of Eastern philosophy. And I discovered a meditation through the writings of Paramahansa Yogananda, who wrote Autobiography of a Yogi, he has a lot of facilities here in Los Angeles, which I go to quite regularly. And that opened up the door to the mystic arts and something that I practice on a day-to-day -day basis 
And it's been a wonderful experiment. Uh, I would also say from a Western standpoint, if you're more science-based in psychological historical components, the work, collective works of Dr. David Hawkins, who was a, not only was he one of the greatest psychiatrists in American history, but he was also a nutritional scientist who worked with Abram Hoffer and Dr. Linus Pauling to develop orthomolecular nutrition. And he created a series of books relating to the map of consciousness and moving through different states and challenges and uh, it's a very in-depth way of kind of creating a map of the human condition and fusing the process of meditation, contemplation um, with that map in a Western world has provided me kind of a holistic worldview. And I do my best to uh, transcend my own limitations and become aware and mindful of my own shadow and to fulfill what I believe is my dharmic purpose or what I was meant to do, which is to end physical suffering and help people go from sick to superhuman and live as long and strong as they possibly can. Fantastic, Wayne. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your journey here with us. If people want to connect with you and learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, they can kind of, you know, do all the usual channels. The best way to connect with me is at Bioptimizers. Um, Facebook and, uh, you know, our webpage. I do have a course that I give away to everybody, whether they purchase products from us or not. It's called the Awesome Health Course, and it's delivered on an app by Optimizers, or you can go to our website and download it. And it's basically uh, a 12-week course, and it's a summation of the overarching philosophy, which I call the Awesome Philosophy, uh, which refers to the seven pillars that allows you to identify what's going to give you the most bang for your buck. We don't even get to supplements till I think the fifth part of the series, um, because there's all these other lifestyle interactions that have nothing to do with supplementation and nothing to do with diets, as a matter of fact, in order to optimize your health. So it's a collection of 30 years condensed into a simple format. And then, of course, we have the podcast by the same name, the Awesome Health Podcast. Truly awesome, Wade. Thank you so much. I really love this conversation on how to build the best selves, you know, from the inside out. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.